Jesus, we thank you that you walk on the water. You stand in the fire right beside us, that we are never alone, that, Jesus, you are present in our lives. And I pray right now this morning that those that are, that are walking through different situations and experiencing challenges, that you would just speak that truth to them, that we would acknowledge that you are the God who heals, you are the God who stands with us, the God who walked on the water and demonstrated your power over all things. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would build our faith. Father, that we would not compare our challenges with our own strength or what we can see and feel and we can quantify, but that we would compare our challenges with God, Jesus, the God of the universe whose name is majestic over all the earth. You are friend. I pray, God, that you'll speak that to us today, that we would remember and know that, and that you would take your living word today, that nothing in me would get in the way of what you want to say to us today, that we would be changed because we were in your presence in worship, and we've been touched by your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Just an update that we want to celebrate. God has, God is at work here. Yeah, in Eau Claire, he's got at work in this church. Um, in the first six weeks of 2017, we've had 10 people come to new faith in Jesus Christ, and I think we ought to just praise God for that in this church. Yeah. Amen. That's God's work, it's not ours. It's something that God does in, in that. There was a carpet layer who just finished recarpeting an entire house. Satisfied that he was finally finished, he stepped outside on the front steps to have a cigarette. He reached into his front pocket and discovered that his cigarettes were gone. He turned and walked back into the house and to his dismay, he noticed a lump in the middle of the living room floor under the newly laid carpet. So he walked over to the spot and crushed the spot down and jumped up and down until the spot all but disappeared. It was now flat and smooth. Satisfied, he walked outside to his truck and there on the dashboard of his truck was his pack of cigarettes. As he turned around, the woman of the house came outside and asked, has anyone seen my son's pet gerbil? Now, how many of you have had the exact thing happen to you like that? <laughs> probably not the exact thing, but you've probably encountered challenges. We're going to talk today um, about challenges or negative circumstances. What happens and how do we handle negative circumstances, things that come into our lives and bring us difficulty? Everything's gone wrong. What could possibly go wrong? We see no solution in sight. What can we do and what should we do when we face challenges or negative circumstances? Well, as we continue our series, Unstoppable God, we're going to look at a situation this morning which looks really bad, looks really bad. In fact, the characters in this story have every right to grumble and to complain and to second-guess God, but they have a different response. What do they choose to do? I want us to join them as we look at the power of choice, the power of choice. I'd like you to turn with me to Acts 16. 
It's on page 898 in the Bible in the rack in front of you, or it'll be on the, on the screen in front of you as well. Acts 16, we're going to start with verse 16 as we look at the power of choice today. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully upon receiving such orders. He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his household. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. What a great story. It begins with a slave girl who was demonized or demon-possessed. We read, read all throughout the New Testament these kinds of stories. And her masters were using her in her possessed state to do fortune-telling or predicting the future. And they had made big bucks from this venture, and they were wealthy at this point in time. And the girl, this girl, followed Paul and Silas around. And the demon in her was speaking through this girl in a very similar way we find in the Gospels where, where when Jesus confronted people who were demonized or demon-possessed, they would cry out, this is the son of the most high God. And Jesus would say, be quiet and come out of them. He cast the demons out. Something that, that happened then, by the way, it it's happen, happens today too. 
But Paul and Silas did not want, they didn't need her endorsement. They didn't want it. So after putting up with this for a long time, it doesn't say how many days, it was a long time. They finally, for their good and for the girl's good, they delivered her from the demon. And she immediately lost her power of fortune telling. Now, this is not the main point of this message, but I just want to draw an aside here. Uh, when we read that, it makes it very clear the source of information for fortune telling. Whether it's a fortune teller or psychic or medium or spiritists, whether it's someone dealing with horoscopes, all of those have to do with the occult, they're demonic, and they're evil, they're of the devil and Satan. Just, just be clear on that. The Bible contains a lot of warnings and admonitions against consultation with demons through this method. In fact, uh, we read in 1 Samuel, King Saul wanted to consult a medium or a spiritist, and so he, he, in 1 Samuel he, he had to go out of the country because all of the mediums and occultists had been removed by God's command. So this is a warning, just, just an aside warning, to say no to fortune tellers or psychics or mediums or, or uh, horoscopes. All of those things have to do with the occult, okay? Just, just to be clear of that. The Bible's very clear on that. But back to the story, back to the story. The slave girls, their masters were furious because they had lost their livelihood in one command by Paul. They had this great living going, and it was one command by Paul. And we find that the opposition of, of, of the message of Jesus up to this point had been religious. As they brought this message of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and uh, Jesus being the Messiah, it was mainly the Jews who were religious were fighting them and opposing them. Now we move from a religious opposition to commercial. To commercial. You touch someone's money source and they're going to get mad. You touch your money source, they're going to get mad. And then, of course, this is when everything spins out of control. When we find out Christianity stands against certain things, and when Christianity attacks economic interests, a reaction follows. Now, does that sound familiar? Christianity confronts a lot of different things. Christianity confronts immoral behavior, and the reaction is I choose my lifestyle. Christianity confronts immorality in television, movies, or child or internet pornography. And what do, we, what do they do? They, they say, I got free speech. I choose free speech. Christianity confronts the evil greed of gambling, and the reaction is, it's my money. Okay? Christianity confronts abortion, and the reaction is, it's my body. It's my right to choose. It's, it's my right as a doctor or, or as Planned Parenthood to make money on abortion. Christianity confronts sins like homosexuality, and my reaction is, predictably, I was made this way. I choose my sexuality. That's not biblical. In fact, if you watch the Super Bowl and listen to the halftime show, Lady Gaga, one of her songs, line over and over again was, I was born this way. Now, when you confront that, you get a negative reaction, a negative reaction. When Christianity confronts personal expression, or commercial interests, we get a strong reaction. And in this account, account, the power of Jesus Christ, Christianity attacked a commercial interest, and the reaction was predictable. Immediately, Paul and Silas are thrown into negative circumstances, something we all experience at some point in time, no matter what it looks like, we experience negative circumstances. Let's look at number one, let's look at negative circumstances for a moment. What were their negative circumstances they experienced? And then see what we can identify with. First one was prejudice. It says these men are Jews. 
There was a prejudice against Jews. Then it was false accusations. He, they said they're advocating customs unlawful for Romans, throwing our city into an uproar, which they were not doing. They were arrested. They were found guilty without a trial. There was injustice. There was something called mob rule. Now, I know we don't know anything uh, about mob rule and anarchy in our nation today. Um, actually, you turn on the news and you see it all the time. It's, it's mob, mob, mob. Just get enough people that are angry about something, get them out there, let them crash, you know, smash windows, do all the kind of stuff they want to do. It's mob rule. It wasn't new. We see it today. Anarchy. Then they were stripped, which was a public humiliation, being stripped of their clothes in public. Then they were beaten. They were physically abused. They were whipped on their naked backs. And finally, they were imprisoned, incarcerated. And it says they were thrown into the inner jail cell, put their feet into stocks. One of the interesting parts of detail, uh, the, writer, the writer of Acts uh, Dr. Luke gives details about incarceration. He, when he talks about Peter being held in jail, he, he, was, he was chained to, to two Roman soldiers. There were two at the gate and two out there, uh, four out in the outside. And, and here they were in stocks. And he, he points the impossibility of deliverance by God. And what it does is it shows, because of the, the way they were incarcerated, it shows the power that God has over any kind of power that human beings bring. Now, they were thrown into jail, put in stocks. This wasn't the Chippewa County Jail. They were not read their rights. They were not given a chance to call a lawyer. These were terrible circumstances, and it was all for doing something good. They had done something right and something good. Terrible circumstances. And that's injustice, the, these negative circumstances. And how many of us, if you were to share, if we took time today, have experienced negative circumstances or injustice? Maybe you've experienced prejudice. Prejudice is just as alive today as it was in the 50s and 60s because civil rights legislation and education does nothing to change a person's heart. We need heart change. Only Jesus can do that. When Judy and I pastored a multicultural church in Tacoma, Washington, not that many years ago, there were members of our church who attended a support group for interracial couples because there was so much prejudice against interracial marriage. We were shocked. We thought we were way beyond that in the United States of America. But it was true. This was numbers of years ago. Lots of prejudice out there. And maybe you have experienced some kind of prejudice. Maybe it's racial prejudice or economic prejudice. Maybe it's reverse discrimination but injustice. Maybe, maybe you are here this morning, you've been falsely accused. Maybe you were found guilty by the gossip of somebody else. Maybe you've been stripped, maybe not of, of physical clothes, but maybe you were stripped of a financial asset. Somebody robbed you of money or possessions. Maybe they robbed you of a valued possession, a relationship with your children. Maybe just peace of mind or dignity. Negative circumstances, injustice. We live in that world. Maybe you've been beaten. Maybe your abusive experience was sexual, assaulted by a friend, relative, or a stranger. Maybe your abuse was emotional or verbal or psychological. Negative circumstances that you did not deserve. Injustice, maybe incarceration. Maybe someone has taken your freedom, financial freedom through a swindle or a scam or Ponzi scheme or through a divorce, whatever it might be. Negative circumstances, injustice. We all experience injustice and negative circumstances. So what should our response be? Get mad, get angry, hatred to fight back, complain to God. Those are all natural responses. But what 
what did Paul and Silas do? What did they do? Let's look at number two, positive responses. Positive response. Our, our first reaction to negative circumstances usually is to let God know how bad off we are. Give God an earful. We, how hopeless everything is. We complain. We like to complain. That's the answer for many. One guy was asked, how did, how did you know I was complaining? And, and his friend said, because I saw your lips moving. One thing I learned a long time ago was that if I want to be happy, if I want to be happy, I don't want to be concentrating on me. On what? On me. Paul and Silas were not concentrating on their suffering. They were not looking at the me. They were praying and singing hymns to God. They were singing to God. Praise songs. They weren't even in church. Okay? They weren't asking God for anything. They were worshiping God. They weren't looking at themselves. They were looking to God. Any, anyone can sing when you get out of prison, when you get out of your circumstance. They were singing in the prison. Paul and Silas were praising God in the mess. Not out of the mess. Why? You know, people can take away our freedom. They can abuse us. They can falsely accuse us. They can incarcerate us. But they cannot take away God and the presence of Jesus Christ. God in the presence of God was in prison too. So they worshiped him. They worshiped him. It's important to recognize that God is still present in our absolute worst circumstances. God is still present. Say, I recognize that God's present, but please don't ask me to praise him in the middle of it. That's what they did. Why praise? What does praise do? What does praise accomplish? Praise helps us recognize the fact that God is in the dungeon. God is in the valley. God is at the mountaintop. God is in prison. God is with us everywhere we are. And instead of concentrating on their suffering, Paul and Silas concentrated on God in prayer and praise. When you look later on in the New Testament at the book of Philippians, which is, is full of joy. There's something called joy. And it was written by Paul, the apostle, who was in this prison circumstance as well. It emphasizes joy, and he wrote it while he was in prison. Well, he had discovered this was not theoretical for Paul. This was experiential. He had discovered that God is everywhere. So what is praise? Let's talk about praise a minute. What is praise? Praise is defined, and I have it in your notes, to extol, laud, honor, acclaim, express approval or admiration. To extol, laud, honor, acclaim, express approval or admiration. So a guy named Mer Merlin Carruthers wrote a, wrote a book, Power and Praise. If you have never read it, it's a classic about praise. He writes this, and it's in your notes, and we're going to complete the sentence. It says, praise is based on a total and joyful acceptance of the present as part of God's live, loving, perfect will for us. Praise is not based on what we think or hope will happen in the future. Let me say that again. Just get this in our minds. Praise is based on a total and joyful acceptance of the present as part of God's loving, perfect will for us. Praise is not based on what we think or hope will happen in the future. And joy is the result of praise. Joy is not the motivation for praise. 
Let's look at eight principles of praise. This is not exhaustive, it's illustrative. You can probably find a lot of more examples, but we're gonna look at eight today, eight principles of praise. First of all, praise is the root of all joy. I choose joy. Praise is the root of all joy. I choose joy. It's God-centered. It's God-focused. Joy is different than happiness. Joy does not concentrate on present circumstances. There's a word called happiness. We all know happiness. We all want happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance. And happenstance means happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. It transcends circumstances. And praise is the total joyful acceptance of the presence as part of God's plan for us. Negative circumstances are out of our own control. We, we can't always control what, what negative circumstances come to us. But how we respond, what we choose to do in the middle of those circumstances is our choice. Praise is the root of all joy. I choose joy. Secondly, unbelief. Letter B, unbelief is the root of all complaining. I choose sorrow, or I, I choose sad. Complaining is the opposite of praising. Complaint is defined as an accusation. Carruthers writes, by grumbling and complaining, we are actually accusing God of mismanaging the details of our day or mismanaging the details of our life. Sometimes it's the little things, the little things. Everything depends on how we respond to the little things. Most marriages break up over the little things. You get a small nail that punctures your tire. The little things. A small mistake of a mechanic can cause a giant airplane to crash. A misunderstanding, a small misunderstanding can, can start a war. Unbelief equals complaining equals accusation. We say, God, you are not in control here. You can't really love me. You don't care. I've said that before. God, you just don't care, do you? <laughs> Anybody else say that? Come on. Okay. Unbelief is the root of all complaining. In contrast, let us see, belief is the root of all praise. I choose faith. I choose faith. Praise God for his power. I know that you, God, can do all things. No thought or purpose of yours can be thwarted. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Psalm 18.30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. Praise releases the power of God into our lives and circumstances because praise is faith in action. It's faith expressed. It's a tangible proof that I trust God in this circumstance, so I will praise you, God, in the middle of this circumstance. Negative circumstances, don't push the panic button. Push the praise button. That was easy, wasn't it? In verse 25, it says, the other prisoners... We're listening to them. It's kind of an interesting aside. I, sometimes I, I see some interesting parts here. Um, when it talks about listening, it, it, the, the word means listening with pleasure, okay? So it's like they're listening with pleasure, like being at your favorite restaurant with your favorite type of music, and you like the, the background music. And, and it's listening with pleasure. And obviously that was a new experience for these prisoners to hear praise songs in, in prison. People listen and people observe and they are affected in a positive way when we praise God in our negative circumstances. They will be affected. They will listen. Listen with pleasure. Praise recognizes God's presence. So what, what happened next? What happens when we praise God even in negative circumstances? Letter D, praise moves God to action. 
I choose dependence. An earthquake comes. God moves all natural boundaries, all na nature. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not guaranteeing an earthquake to get you out of your circumstance every time something happens and you praise God as an earthquake. But I can tell you that God will act. Why? Because I choose dependence on God. When I praise him, I'm saying, I trust you. My dependence is on you to act, and God then acts. And nothing in the physical realm or the spiritual realm or any realm can stand in the way of God's power. He can move nature, all nature, in response to our praise. And in, in this situation, God, of course, he shook the foundations of the prisoner, prisons of the prison. See, all institutions of people can be moved when God acts in response to praise. No matter what your challenge is, God can move all institutions in response to praise, whether it's the government, the military, the schools, the corporations, or companies. All institutions can be shaken and power released through praise, whether you're dealing with a job frustration, a military transfer, a bad boss, a difficult marriage, an unjust verdict, whatever it is. If you are in a difficult situation, no human institution and nothing on heaven and earth can stand in the way of God's power. Nothing. Praise. Praise him. Fifth, letter E, praise opens doors. Praise opens doors. I choose the supernatural. When the doors open, the word means wide open. It wasn't just a jar. This was boom, wide open. You know, God doesn't do things halfway. The question is, are you looking for an open door? Are you trapped? Are you confused? Are you unemployed? Do you not know where to turn? Looking for direction. Praise God in the middle of the situation. Don't wait till the answer comes. Praise God now. He will open the door. Sixth, praise sets us free. I choose freedom. It says everybody's chains came loose. And the question is, what kinds of things are we bound by today? Do you feel in prison, need to be set free? In the middle of your negative circumstance, God says, praise me. Praise him for the situation. Acknowledge he's God. Act in belief, not in unbelief. And God will set you free. Praise God. Seventh, praise humbles humanity. I choose humility. I choose humility. When we choose to praise God, we acknowledge he is king over all. He's the boss. We fall down in humility. humility. Verse 29 says the jailer was ready to take his life and then fell at the feet of Paul and Silas. When we praise God, God humbles all humanity as he reveals that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Someday, as we read, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord. And eighth, letter H, praise results in salvation. I choose Christ. I choose Christ. In verse 30, it says, He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others of his household at that hour of night. The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. It was through negative circumstances, false accusation, being arrested, beaten bloody, thrown into prison, all 
All this happened unjustly, but it was through all of this because they praised God that this whole family came to faith in Jesus Christ. This was the beginning of the Philippian church that we read about in Philippi. This was the very beginning of the church. And this all started because they praised God. Praise says God is in control. See, we are, like it or not, like it or not, we are God's demonstration to people around us, people who believe or don't believe. We are God's demonstration. People watch us to see how we respond in negative situations. It's important to be transparent and say, yeah, we're going through tough times. It's okay to admit that. Because people watch to see how we respond in negative circumstances. And unbelievers cannot identify with it. Everything is great, becoming a Christian solved all my problems thing. That's not, that's not what happens. People need to see how our faith works in the stuff of life, in the negative circumstances. It's easy to praise God when you get out of prison. It's a whole different thing to praise him when we're in. How do you respond with unbelief, complaining, or belief in praising? It's our choice. That's the power of choice. Annie Chapman wrote a true story about a woman she met who was suffering in life. She was speaking at a conference, and she writes these words. All alone, she sat in the back of the church. The rest of the 500 women at the women's conference that weekend had already exited the auditorium. I was gathering my books, papers, and props when I saw her at the back of the room. I walked over to her, where she was sitting. Her, her head was bowed low. Her shoulders were drooping. I sat down and she began to tell her story. She was the mother of three. Her oldest son, suffering from muscular dystrophy, had been confined to a wheelchair most of his 17 years. Her other two children had a variety of learning and emotional challenges. With her head still bent, she whispered, I'm married to a mean, hateful man who makes my life miserable. He won't help me with our son. She went on to say, I buried my father this week. At the funeral, I learned that my father had disinherited me from his estate because he hated my husband. Then she told me something that still haunts me. I came this weekend with one prayer, she said. I prayed, Lord, I need a way out. I feel like a bird in a cage. Finally, she lifted her eyes and said, when I prayed that prayer, God spoke to me as clearly as I've ever sensed his voice. He said, even a bird in a cage sings. With tears running down her face, she asked, what am I supposed to do with that? How do I live with that answer? Feeling utterly impotent, Annie Chapman replied, if God says sing, you need to find your song. God is calling us, no matter what your cage, your circumstance, to sing, to find your song. You choose. Let's bow our heads in prayer if we could. You may identify this morning with Paul and Silas, the two men experiencing negative experiences, learning how to praise God in all circumstances and situations. 
Or you may identify with a jailer who was experiencing fear and confusion, and he had to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? He knew he needed something or someone. And if you're in the same situation asking, what must I do to be saved? The answer is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to clean up your life and accomplish some great feat or become religious. Jesus has done all that needs to be done by living a perfect life and dying on the cross for our misdeeds. All that is called from us is to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This means to place your trust and confidence in Jesus. Not just intellectual assent, but turning over the leadership of your life to God. That's what the man in our story did, his whole family. That is what you can do today because then he entered into a relationship with God through Jesus. If you've never done that this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer aloud and you can pray it after me silently. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the Son of God. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you were resurrected from the dead and live today. Forgive my sins. Take charge of my life and be my leader. Amen. If that was your choice, if we can leave every head bowed for just a moment. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just slip your hand up real quick and put it right back down? Anybody? First time? Okay, thank you. See that? Anybody else? There's a response card in the rack in front of you. You can fill out the top part and keep the bottom. If you'd be willing to fill that out and put it in the box as you leave at the usher's stand, that would be awesome this morning. And if anybody didn't have the courage to put their hand up as you prayed that prayer, I would invite you to fill out that card and and do that this morning. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what you're dealing with, we get to choose. Father, we just thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who walks on the water, who stands where we are in the fire. And I just pray that you would continue, God, to speak to our hearts and that we would find our song no matter what cage or what circumstance we are in realizing we choose. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Before we're dismissed today, I'd like, if, if you're comfortable, I, I want us to pray together as a congregation for a very specific need. If you join hands of people with you in, in, the, in the row, if you're comfortable with that, just join hands. We're going to agree together. Michael Winterberg, the, the son of uh, my predecessor here, Pastor Dwayne Winterberg is seriously ill in the hospital, and we need to pray that God will heal him and deliver him. So I'm going to pray, and I want us to just agree together for this request. Father, we come to you now in tremendous need, and we just pray for Pastor Dwayne and Debbie, Lord, for, for Michael, that you would reach down and touch his body, touch his mind, touch his, in every way, heal him, Lord Jesus. We are asking for you to do an incredible, miraculous work. As we agree as a body, we gather around together and pray for his deliverance and his healing right now. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the love of our God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the power and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.